I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts as we continue our series there. Uh, Acts chapter 15, I'm going to read uh, the last part of that chapter and then uh, the first part of chapter 16 here. So listen to the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return, visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. They went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. When they went went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we saw to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as always, we need your help as we try to understand and apply your word to our lives. And so we pray this morning that you would indeed as all of us sit under the authority of your word, open up our understanding, help us to see the things in this text, Lord, that you are speaking to us, and then help us by the power of the the Spirit to apply those things to our lives. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) In his commentary on Judges, uh, J. Vernon McGee tells this story. It says, right before World War II, The city of Pasadena Pasadena was having its annual rose parade, and the float that was entered by the Standard Oil Company was covered with American beauty roses. It was a sight to behold. The theme of the parade was be prepared. Right in the middle of the parade, the Standard Oil Company's float ran out of gas. It stopped right where I was viewing the parade. I couldn't help but laugh. If there was one float that should not have run out of gas, it was that one. Standard oil companies should have had plenty of gas. And as I looked at that float, I saw a picture of many Christians today. They are beautiful, but they have no power in their lives. They have beauty and prestige, 
but no power. How many of us, if we are honest, feel like we are out of gas on this journey of bearing bearing witness for Christ in this world? How many of us, even if our tank is full, can testify that we have had seasons where we felt out of gas, felt like we were on E, if you will, as we bear witness for Christ in this world. Perhaps, like Paul and Barnabas, you come face to face with the resistance to the kingdom of God, come in the person and work of Jesus. You've experienced, like them, the ridicule, the mocking, the attempts to silence your voice through the threat of violence or actual violence. Or perhaps it has been the seemingly unending obstacles that have been thrown in your way, either man-made obstacles or natural ones like physical, mental illness, fatigue, and the like. Whatever the cause, many of us have been in that place of feeling like we were out of gas, out of strength to keep moving forward in this call that Christ has placed on us to bear His name in this world. And the question for us this morning is, who or what is going to refill those empty tanks? Where are we going to find strength to keep moving forward, power to keep pressing on? And this isn't just an individual question, it's a corporate one as well. The call to bear witness for Christ in this world isn't simply laid on us as individuals, but laid on us corporately as the church. How is the church to be strengthened to carry on its calling to proclaim the kingdom of God, this kingdom that draws the nations together under the lordship of Christ? These stories, these stories that Luke tells us within the context of Paul's missionary journey provide an answer for us. And the answer should not be shocking really to any of us, but it should be comforting. God Himself, listen to me again, God Himself will provide the strength we need, the strength His church needs to be His witnesses. Remember Christ's words at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus is not going to leave you empty. Listen to that again. Jesus is not going to leave you empty. He isn't going to leave us empty. What we need for the work He has called us to, He will, through the power of the Spirit, provide it for us. The call for the church is to trust that commitment of our Lord to keep giving energy to our mortal bodies to do the work that He has called us to. So what do we need? What do we need to trust God for that would give us this ongoing strength for the journey of bearing His name in, the wor- in this world? Well, let me first say, brothers and sisters, we need to trust God to keep giving us grace. We need to trust God to keep giving us grace. Paul and Barnabas had been through a lot together. Remember that it was Barnabas who at the beginning of Paul's ministry had stood up on his behalf 
when the brothers in Jerusalem were afraid to associate with him. On their first missionary journey together, they had confronted the false prophet Bar-Jesus in Cyprus. In Antioch at Pisidia, they had to deal with the synagogue rulers' jealousy and the subsequent stirring up of persecution against them. In Iconium, they encountered more persecution from the unbelieving Jews and Gentiles, discovering in the process that plans were being put in place to mistreat them and stone them. In Lystra, that wanted to offer worship to them because of Paul's healing of a lame man there. In addition to this drama, the persecuting crew from Antioch and Iconium showed up and incited the crowd, resulting in the apostle Paul being stoned almost to death. If that were not enough, the brothers then had to face within the church a growing crisis that had been stirred up by a group of Jewish brothers who came, a group of Jewish brothers who came down to Antioch and were teaching the Gentiles that they had him down to Antioch and were teaching the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised God. And so Paul and Barnabas had to go up to Jerusalem, give testimony to what God had been doing in their ministry, in essence, to confront those who were trying to place a stumbling block in the way of the work, their work to the Gentiles. If that was not enough to burn up your ministry fuel, I don't know what is. And if, I don't know what is. And if that were not enough, <laughs> Paul, and Bar- Paul and Barnabas, who had been to war essentially together, are now facing a new problem, a dispute over Barnabas' cousin, John Mark. Now, Paul and Barnabas had engaged in disputes in the past, at least one that we know of. Remember that Barnabas, according to Paul, had joined Peter in his hypocritical separating of himself from the Gentiles during a visit to Antioch. And there's no doubt, at least in my own mind, that at some point, he and Barnabas had a conversation about that day. Be hard to imagine that the two brothers sent out to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles didn't talk about what happened in Antioch that day. So they had disputed likely before, but this disagreement was different. The text says that it was a sharp disagreement. This was a more, more akin to a verbal fight, an argument, if you will. I say that because the text tells us that it was bad enough that the two men decided to separate from each other. They ended their working relationship, and no doubt, this strained their friendship. I wonder if anybody in the house has ever confronted anything like this, disagreement that leads to broken relationships and friendships in the ministry. And Luke, of course, doesn't comment on who is wrong or who is right. He doesn't say Paul was an apostle, so he was in the right. No, the two men had a genuine but sharp disagreement. Paul did not want to take John Mark because he believed strongly that John had deserted them and as a result wasn't ready for this type of work. Barnabas, on the other hand, likely saw qualities in his cousin that he wanted to nurture and develop and believed strongly that taking him would help in that development. And they couldn't agree to the point where they decided they could not move forward together. You ever been there in ministry, unable to move forward 
because of some disagreement, some dispute, some hardship, some struggle? What do we need when we are in this kind of spot? What will give us the strength in the face of the pain and the hurt and the disillusionment? In the text, we read this, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Brothers, we need the grace of the Lord. We need His favor to rest upon us. We need to know that He is still committed to making us fruitful in the work that He has set before us. Paul was losing his right-hand man, his companion in the work, his friend. He needed to know that the grace of God was still resting on him, and it was. And listen, Barnabas needed to know this too. And even though Luke doesn't focus on Barnabas or doesn't, though Luke doesn't focus on Barnabas or doesn't mention the commendation of God's grace, mention the commendation of God's grace upon him, doesn't mean that God's grace wasn't going to be there for him as well. Luke is focusing on Paul for the purpose of the story he's telling, not to minimize God's grace being there for Barnabas too. And we have to be careful and guard our hearts because there is there is time where the disagreement in the church, that, 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 that in our pain, in our hurt, in our disillusionment, we can want something other than God's grace to be… We can want something other than God's grace to be present for those with whom we are disagreeing. And we need God's grace. Glory be to God, we can trust that that grace is there for us through faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what the call here really is, brothers and sisters. It's to remember, even and maybe especially in times of hardship and failure, that God remains on you, that God is still with you, still committed to bless you, still committed to using you. The call is to resist the lie that the hardship means God is done with you. This separation between Paul and Barnabas was no small thing, yet it was not a sign that God was removing His grace from Paul or from Barnabas or from John Mark for that matter. If your faith is in Jesus, God's grace is on you, success or failure hardship or prosperity. God's grace is on you whether you are doing good or whether you are failing, whether you are, whether you are succeeding or failing, hardship or prosperity. God's grace is on you because it's not based on anything that you have done. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on how smart you are. It's not based on how successful you are. It is based solely on God. who gives grace to people who don't deserve it. Amen, people of God. If your faith is in Jesus, God's grace is on you. But this also means that you can commend God's grace to others. Despite the dispute, Paul and Silas were sent off and entrusted to the grace of God. The church wanted to see 
them succeed in their work, wanted to see the gospel continue to spread through their labors. And as I said earlier, there is no sense here that they do not want the same for Barnabas and John Mark. We have to be careful, even in our disagreements, even when those disagreements rise to the point where we think we can't move forward together in the same way as before, that we continue to hope for and pray for God's grace to rest upon His people. And we need to be careful to not fall into condemnation of one another, even when our disagreements are strong. Did you hear me? Even when our disagreements are strong, we need to be careful that we do not fall into condemnation and judgment of one another, but instead hope for, pray for, long for the grace of God to rest upon His people that they might accomplish the work that God has set upon them. Amen, people of God. So we got to trust God to keep giving us grace. But we also have to trust God if we're going to be strengthened for this work that He's called us to. We have to trust God to keep providing us support. Keep giving us grace, keep providing us support. Be hard to imagine that the separation from Barnabas was not hard for Paul. Paul was not superhuman. Paul felt the pain of loss. He once remarked in Philippians 3.18 about his tears for those he believed had deserted the faith and become enemies of Christ. If he felt that kind of pain for people who were leaving the faith, it would be hard to imagine that he felt no pain or hurt at his close companion in the gospel separating from him. Paul had to feel that loss. And what is more, he was now left without full te- a full team of helpers in the ministry. When he had set out on his first missionary journey, it was him, Barnabas, and John Mark before John Mark left. Now God had been kind to Paul in that he had given him Silas, who was one of the brothers, by the way, who had come down from Jerusalem to deliver the letter from the elders there in the church in Antioch. So he and Silas now set off uh, to uh, go back to all the churches that had been planted to strengthen them in the faith. Can I ask you a question this morning? Aren't you glad that God cares about your well-being? Are you glad that He cares about the well-being of His church? I mean, that's the real source of our hope, right? That we are going to be able to confront the challenges of our time. It is the confidence that we serve a God who is not on vacation, who is not sleeping through this or any season of history, but who is woke and actively engaged in giving power to His people to face the challenges of proclaiming the gospel of His Son to the nations of the earth that God will not leave us without the support we need to be strengthened in His work. When Paul and Silas get to Derby and Lystra, they come upon a disciple named Timothy. Timothy, whose mother is Jewish, whose father is Greek, is himself a believer. His faith, as we find out from Paul in his letter to Timothy later in life, was sparked by the faith of his mother and his grandmother, who were both responsible for helping Timothy come to faith. And I just want to say this morning, thank God for the faithful women of the church who labor to build up the faith of others, both immediate family members and non-family members. What a blessing it is to have women strong in the faith serving the church. 
many of us, from a human standpoint, would not know Jesus without these faithful women of the church. Many of us, I'm going to say it again, would not know Jesus from a human standpoint without the faithful labor of these women of the church. So Paul meets Timothy, and he's impressed by the nature of his faith in Christ and decides that he wants to take Timothy along with him on his missionary journey. And let me make a brief comment here on Paul's decision to have Timothy circumcised. Paul's decision here is more strategic than anything else. Paul did not believe that circumcision was necessary for one to be saved, but when Titus, another of Paul's companions later in his ministry, was compelled to be circumcised, Paul stood up adamantly against it. Titus was a Gentile, and Paul was very careful not to give space to those who were trying to compel Gentiles to be, uh, to be circumcised as a condition for salvation. But <laughs> since Timothy's mother was Jewish, Timothy himself would have been considered a Jew. And so Paul was concerned to not have Timothy's Jewish status be a stumbling block to their ministry by having to debate and argue with the Jews about why this Jewish man was not circumcised. And so the decision appears to have been strategic on Paul's part. What, if, what is clear, though, is this. Timothy's joining the team proved to be extremely helpful to the advance of the gospel. How do we know? Well, after delivering to the churches the decisions of the letter that had been sent by the elders in Jerusalem, we read this. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. Not only can we expect God's grace to keep resting upon us, but we can also expect God to keep providing the support we need to carry on when, with the work that He has called us to do. Listen to me. God will not leave us without the help we need to do the work He has called us to. Trust that, brothers and sisters. This is God's work, and He means for it to be accomplished, and so what we need to accomplish it, He will give to us. Amen. People will leave you in ministry. I want you to hear me. People will leave you in ministry. And I mean that as no attack on those who do. May God make them fruitful, and may His grace rest upon them, and may they find rest in the new ministry settings into which God is planting them. I mean that in sincerity. Indeed, God may be sending them to support other ministry efforts in His kingdom, and that is just the point. The support we need for the work God is calling us to, He will give us that support. And that doesn't mean that you don't grieve the loss of those whom God is calling elsewhere. It would be hard to believe, as I said at the beginning, that Paul did not grieve the loss of Barnabas. How could he not? Barnabas wasn't just a machine cranking out ministry product. He was Paul's companion, his brother in the faith, his friend. Yet we must also trust that he knows who we need to carry on the work that he is calling us to. Amen, people of God. The call here is to keep looking for those whom God is adding to His church to build her up 
or to other ministry teams to build them up. Can I get some of that tissue, please? The loss of Barnabas was no doubt difficult for Paul. Thank you, brother. The loss of Barnabas was difficult for Paul, yet he also had his eyes open to whom God might be calling to join the team to continue to move the ministry forward. And I want to be careful here. I want to be careful here. I want to be careful. I am not suggesting that we move on in some dispassionate way or that we resist the hard lessons that may need to be learned as a result of the hardships we face or the separations we encounter. We actually do at times need to stand back and evaluate what we are doing to see if there are things we are doing that are wrong and that were the cause of the hardships or the separations. If we can't embrace that kind of humility, we may be doing great damage, even if the outward signs of our ministry efforts suggest otherwise. Amen. What I'm suggesting is that we have to have a sense of expectation that God is not going to leave us without what we need for the work He has called us to. We're not going to be without the people or the resources we need to make the kingdom of God come in Christ known in this world. Remember the apostles' words and hold on to them dearly. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Got to trust God to keep giving us grace. We have to trust God to keep providing us support. Lastly, we have to trust God to keep directing our steps. The next question for Paul must have been, what now? What now? Where is God taking us next? Once we have gone back and strengthened all the churches, where do we go from here? Even if this question wasn't on Paul's minds, his next steps and the next steps for his team were already being laid out by God for them. In verses 6 through 9, we read this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, forb- having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's right. Not only had God already determined where Paul and his crew were going next, he also shut the doors that needed to be shut to ensure that Paul, Silas, and Timothy ended up where he wanted them to be. I wish I had some witnesses in the house. I wish I had some folk who know that God knows how to get you where He wants you to be. I wish I had some folk who knew that God is the God who opens doors that need to be opened and closes doors that need to be closed. A God who when, even when you're trying, even when you're trying to get into places He doesn't want you to be in, He knows 
how to turn you around. <laughs> yes, God is that intimately involved in our lives that He knows how to get us where He needs us to be. And this doesn't mean we get to avoid, avoid the challenges of life as God guides us. It's a promise that He will guide us through all the challenges to plant us in those places where the gospel is needed, where salvation is needed, where Jesus is needed. What I love about the text is that God not only shuts doors, but He speaks to point us in the direction that we should walk. Paul receives this vision of a man in Macedonia standing and crying out for help. And it's through that vision that the group realizes that God was calling them to this place. The confirmation, of course, came when they began to encounter people in that place who needed to hear about the Lord. The point, brothers and sisters, is this, that we can trust God to direct our steps. When we go to God and ask Him to show us where He wants us to go in ministry, we can have confidence that He will show us. We aren't serving a God who wants to hide from us or hide His plans from us. We serve a God who says in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And don't think for a second that because Barnabas and John Mark are out of the picture of the story that Luke is telling that somehow this did not apply to them. Listen to what happens sometime later as Paul is giving instructions to his son in the gospel, Timothy. Do your best to come home, to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in the ministry. What? Bring Mark? What Mark? John Mark? You mean the one that deserted you some time ago? Yeah, go get that Mark and bring that Mark to me because he is very useful to me in the ministry. And here's what that means. God wasn't just directing the steps of Paul and Silas and Timothy. He was also directing the steps of Barnabas and Mark to get them where he wanted them to be so that when the time came, God could bring Mark and Paul back together. God wasn't done directing the steps of Paul, and he wasn't done directing the steps of John Mark and Barnabas. Our call is to trust him to direct our steps. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to expect God to direct your steps. Now, God uses a variety of means to guide us. He uses the inward counsel of the Spirit. He uses the counsel of other brothers and sisters in the faith. He uses the closing of doors and the opening of others. He certainly uses prayer. God has lots of ways of getting us where He wants us to be. But I would encourage you, if you are individually seeking God for direction, 
to employ all the means God gives you to discern what He is saying and where He may be pointing you. And this promise of direction isn't just for us individually, it's for us corporately. God has plans for us, New City. God has steps that He has laid out for us to walk in, and He will guide us along those paths that He has laid out for us. Let's be a church that is seeking Him in prayer. Let's be a church that is leaning into the counsel of others who are doing what we are doing. Let's be a church who are listening to His voice together. The Lord is here among us, and He is leading and guiding. Let's follow Him into the neighborhood, to the broader Grand Rapids community, into the world. Let's follow Him in all those places He has laid out for us to make His name known, knowing that our God is committed to strengthening us as we go by continuing to give us grace, by continuing to provide us support, and by continuing to direct our steps. This is the commitment of our God through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can trust Him for it. Amen, people of God. And here's why you can trust Him. You can trust Him because He is leading us, because He's at the head, and we're following And as I said earlier, even when we're trying to go places, He doesn't want us to go. He knows how to close the door and get us where He wants us to be. Amen, people of God. Let's trust God to be the God who keeps strengthening us as we go out and make His name known in this world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need You. We need You to give us strength. We do feel at times, Lord, like we are out of gas. We do feel at times, Lord, weary along the journey. We do feel at times, Lord, like we can't take another step. So without you, without your power at work in us, how can we continue to move forward? So we are thankful this morning that you are a God who will not leave us empty. You are a God who will infuse us individually and corporately with the power we need to carry out the work you have called us of bearing witness to the name of your Son and the kingdom that has come in and through him. Lord, I pray that your people will trust you to keep giving them grace, success or failure, hardship or prosperity. I pray your people will trust you to keep giving them grace. I pray that we will trust you to keep giving us the support we need to carry out the work you have called us to, whether that support be people or resources, whatever, Lord, we need, help us to trust you that you will keep providing us with that support. And I pray you will help your people to trust you to keep guiding their steps, to keep guiding our steps, to keep moving us forward into into the places you are calling us. I pray this and ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we do pray. Amen.